there's um, a lot of things that uh, I, I'm thankful for. One of the things I'm very thankful for is, uh, uh, yeah, bring that, brother. Uh, I'm very thankful for is uh, a chance I had, Gene and I had to uh, be in Houston, Texas for six years while I went to seminary. And um, um, we made a lot of friends there. And, uh, and when this hit, um, man, Houston is so flat. It's just so easy to flood. We never experienced, uh, we remember driving around with water coming up uh, almost to our door, but nothing like this. And so we thought it'd be very appropriate. I mean, uh, I've been in contact with our former, my college pastor here at Calvary, uh, Darren Shirley Seal, and uh, uh, the water came up to the, right below the, um, the, um, the ceiling of their first floor and everything was flooded, but they just had a spirit of thankfulness that they just said, you know, we're just so thankful that, you know, it didn't hit the ceiling so that everything on the second floor is dry. And they just had a spirit of thankfulness. So we're going to watch a video, and then we're going to pray. I had a chance to, uh, in fact, in the Walmart parking lot this morning, there was this huge um, uh, kind of called disaster media, and uh, I stopped, and the guy was out, uh, hanging out by the truck, and I said, hey, man, where are you headed? And he said, I'm headed to Texas, and his name was Adam, and he was with the U.S. government, and I said, we're going to pray for you, Adam, at, for our church, and he said he appreciated that. So we're going to pray for Adam, we're going to pray for our friends in Texas, and the relief going on, on there. So. like to physically be there but we can do something physical if you just as a sign of just your heart toward God would you stand as we pray Father we stand we stand together as your church and Father we just think about Houston Texas and we think about 
Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Beaumont, uh, Port, Port Arthur. Uh, we think about the cities that are not on the news, where people have lost their homes and, and uh, didn't have flood insurance and are just trying to find their way. We pray, Father, for your sustaining power to be upon them. Father, yeah, I know you love them, and I pray ultimately that they would reach out and find your sufficiency, God. And as a part of that, Father, of your sufficiency, would you send in, we pray for our, our disaster relief teams that are going in. We pray for the Red Cross. We pray for uh, uh, our military, uh, National Guard. <clears throat> we pray, Father, that you would push through the crowd and, and, and every individual affected, would you meet their need? Would you touch them at their point of need and raise them up? Show us what we should do as a church. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. The reality of life is that we all are going to face tumultuous, tumultuous situations in our lives where we find ourselves treading water. Sometimes those Hurricane Harveys come from the outside in. But the ones that affected me the most are the ones that come from the inside out. You know what I'm talking about? The one in the middle of the night where that hurricane, it's first a tropical storm. And then you get the phone call. Your child's in distress. Your child or your, or that addiction that you thought was that inside out. But sometimes it's the outside in. It, it, can, it can come both ways. Sometimes there are consequences of our behavior. And sometimes they, we have done absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing, but we find ourselves in the eye of the hurricane. However, I stand before you as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ that the gospel is big enough. Jesus is big enough for whatever hurricane that you're going through, whether from the outside in or the inside out. I know that through personal experience. And I know that through the, the testimony of so many of God's people and from the Word of God. And if you find the Lord Jesus and you find Him, you have a future and a hope. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. I hope you just either in your Bible or in your app or whatever. We're going to do a little background on Jeremiah. I'm going to throw a map up here. We've got a map. Do a little Bible history. Jeremiah was a prophet in during the time of Judah, during the time of the latter seventh century in the six uh, early six hundreds of BC. You see two different lines. You see because there were two different two different. When you think of Israel as a nation, there was the United Kingdom under David and under Solomon. But by the time we get to the 8th century, they have divided into two kingdoms, to two nations. There's the northern nation, and they took on the name Israel. And there's the southern nation, they took on the name Judah. Assyria was the, was the kingdom in charge during the 8th century. And Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me, Assyria... Uh, Assyria came in, and they took the northern kingdom into 
captivity to Nineveh. Nineveh is Assyria, and that top purplish line uh, is where Assyria was. And that happened in 721 was the final. Uh, the capital of the northern kingdom was Samaria. And so they took them from Samaria and throughout the northern kingdom into captivity throughout Assyria. But then Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians defeated the Assyrians, and now they are the big boy in the block. And in, we see in the 6th century, they began to besiege all of Judah, the southern kingdom. And finally, we find in 586, finally, Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, is defeated, and all of them are sent into exile. And that is what we see in the red line. Uh, in the Babylonian, we see uh, near the Persian Gulf, that's the Babylonian. Uh, so this is where we find Jeremiah. Jeremiah is really a prophet during the southern kingdom's uh, um, exile. And so we they're in exile, they've been in exile, and God chooses to use his prophet Jeremiah to write a letter to the exiles of Judah. And so in Jeremiah 29, we're going to read that story, the 14, first 14 verses. Let's begin in Jeremiah 29, 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconah and the queen mother and the eunuchs and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem and the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisei, the son of Shaphan, and Gemara, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there. And do, and, and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For it is in its welfare you will find your, your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let pro your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to, to you in my name i did not send them declares the lord i want to stop right there and say a word anytime we are in a crisis anytime we are in a uh, an exile either of our doing or just because it, we live in a fallen world there will be two voices. There will be the voice of God to lead you out of exile into a good place, and there will be a voice that will try to keep you in exile or will give you bad direction. 
you have got to find through the grace of God the right voice. We go on and we focus in on verse 10 through 14, really our text for today. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill you to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me, and you will seek me when you seek me with your whole heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I've sent you into exile. In your bulletin, in your handout is an outline, and uh, I want a, spe- a special p- shout out to our impact class. Give me a wave impact class back there. They're the ones that put these pins in your pews just so you can have them for this outline. Now, that outline may be helpful to you. You may go, I hate outlines, but for me, it helps me. So use it if it's helpful to you, all right? The purpose of this letter is to reassure these exiles that God had not abandoned them or forgotten them, forgotten his purpose for them. I want to ask you a question. What is the biggest thing that you're going through right now? What is the biggest thing? What is your Hurricane Harvey? For some of you, it still may be out in the Gulf. It may just be a tropical a depression, you're kind of going, man, I hope this doesn't come my way, because if it does, it's going to wreak havoc. For some of you, and I've been here, it's, you're right in the middle of the eye, you're right in the middle of the storm, and man, you're right in those bands that are just whipping you right now, and it's, not, it's, it's enough for you just to stay in your seat and not run out of here. Some of you are going, man, that storm just came by weeks, months, years ago, whatever, and you're still just flooded and you're still got mold and mildew. You're just dealing with the aftermath of that hurricane in your life. Well, I'm not here to tell you. God loves you. He is here for you. He, was, he is powerful. He is loving and he's present and he is more than enough to bring you to a good place. And that's what this That is what this is about. This is what this is about. And you say, wait a minute, this was for Israel. Can we take this on? I believe we can look at Jeremiah 29, and we can look at what happens when God's people turn to God. We can see the character of God for his people. And if you have accepted Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior, you're in a covenant relationship with him, and that same thing is true of you. I like this slide that we're going to put up. This is from Handfuls of Purpose. And this is what the writer said about Jeremiah 29 and applying it to our lives. He said, this letter, like the gospel of God, is a revelation of his mind and will to those who, because of their sins and iniquities, have become the slaves of uh, of an alien power. But I also believe that if you're captive to anything today, if you're addicted, if you're, it might be a thought process, you just can't get it out of your mind, it may be a, a substance, it may be anything, God is big enough, and that's what we're talking about today. So let's go, go back to your outline, and first of all, let's look at the plans of God. Got that pen in your hand? I hope so. 
The first one is these plans, they are personal plans. We go back to Jeremiah 29, uh, 11, and it says, For I know the plans that I have for you. God is so awesome about always, you know, we come to church and we, we kind of hide in the crowd. Let me tell you something. God sees you here this morning. And he sees beyond your makeup and your clothes and everything, as just as far as just what that good thing that you put, that front you put up, God sees the real you. And he has a plan for each of you. Take your Bible and turn over to Matthew chapter 8. I love this story. It's the story of Jesus. Here God is in the, in the flesh, and we're just getting a, a feel for how does God interact with people. In Matthew 8, verse 1, it says, When he came down, Jesus came down from the mountainside. Great crowds followed him. Great crowds. And behold, a leper, just an individual with a skin disease, came to him and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was clean. I'm here to tell you that God is all about getting past the crowd and to the individual and touching you at your point of need. He is the only one that can do that. And you may have denied it and hidden it and it's something that's happened to you years ago, but that's still in you. God knows your leprosy. He knows what wakes you up in the middle of the night. He knows what you don't tell anybody else. And he pushes past the crowd, and he comes to you, and he says, I love you, and I want to bring you out of captivity. Turn over to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Look at verse 6. When Jesus is talking about uh, what he does for people, um, look at Luke chapter 12, verse 6. It says, Our not five sparrows sowed for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God. Why? Even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not. You are more valued than many sparrows. There's two words that jump out at me, a few words. One is, not one of them is forgotten. You are not forgotten by God this morning. You are not forgotten by God this morning. And I like that, it says, fear not. Jesus, ultimately, if you are fearing anything in your life, if there is anything that you're afraid of, the Lord wants to address that to you as an individual. So first, if God's plans are personal. But second, back to your pen, they are good plans. We're back over in Jeremiah 29, 11, and it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, and not for evil. When I became, a, um, I was telling one of the young folks here, college students today, that they walked in, and I talked, uh, their name was Lee, part of their name was Lee, and it was a girl named Lee that invited me to Calvary, and I'd never been in a Baptist church, and I came here, and I started hearing about having a personal relationship with Jesus, and I and I went, wow, that sounds really cool. I definitely need that because I don't want to go to hell. Definitely don't want to go to hell. 
and went down by the river in East Knoxville and said, I, I know I want you as my Savior, but I'm not sure I want you as my Lord. I, I'm 17 years old, and I've got some plans, God. I've got some plans that I want to do and things I want to go and places I want to be and things I want to kind of experiment with. I'm not sure I want you as Lord. I, I'll take you as Savior. But God, in that moment, just rushed into my heart and said, the God that loves you enough to come to die for you on a cross and be spit upon and not retaliate, that kind of love you can trust, Joe. And I gave my life to Christ at 17, and I'm here to say four decades later, what a, what a beautiful thing I did. What a smart thing I did. And if there's any voice in your mind, if there's a, a competing voice that says, do your own thing. Don't listen to that voice. The God of the universe that made you and designed you is willing to come into your life and guide you and direct you. Why wouldn't you give yourself to that? I'm so thankful I did. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, verse 9. Of which of you, one of you, if his son asks him for a bread, will he give him a stone? Or if his asking for a fish, will give him a serpent? Serpent, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your father who is in heaven gives good things to those who ask him. Guys, you have a father in heaven that wants to give you good things. So it's personal, it's good, but also back to your outline, they they are plans of blessing. Jeremiah 29, 11 again says, to give you a, a future and a hope. I am not preaching a prosperity gospel. When you give your life to Christ, not everything turns out good because sometimes God leads you to pick up a cross and die for him. People, more people are being martyred for the faith this year than ever in the history of Christendom. But I am here to say this. They are God wants to bless you, even if it means nails in your fists, even if it means uh, thorns on your brow. God wants to bless you, and it comes in strange times. But here's a, here's a quote that I like up on the screen. It says, the biblical definition of hope is confident expectation. Hope is a firm assurance regarding the thing, things that are unseen. Hope is seen in a as a fundamental component of the life of a believer. Turn over to uh, Psalms 43. Turn Psalms 43. I love this. I love, I love David and his praying. He prays so real. I prayed some really stupid, shallow prayers. I've never prayed an on, a bad, honest prayer when I kind of lay it all down. This is what we see in uh, Psalms 43, 5. Look at this. It says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Your soul, we are made of body, that's our flesh. We're made of our soul, and then we're made of our spirit or our heart, which is the inside. We're going to talk about that in a second. The inside, the innermost part is the heart. Our soul is our will, our emotions, and our intellect. And here, the psalmist says, why are you so downcast, will? Intellect, emotions. Why, why are you three so downcast? I love this conversation. 
He says, why are you so downcast, oh, my soul? And why are you so, why are you in turmoil within me? What does it say to do? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let me tell you something. If your God is a God that you've read about and gone to VBS or you know, from a distance, but when he becomes your God, your God, it's a whole, whole different story. So, the expectation of God. So, we see the plans of God. Let's look next at the expectation of God. Back over to Jeremiah 29. It says, beginning in verse 12, then you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me. Then you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me. And I, I've just really been thinking about that a lot this week. You know, I love that progression because it, when we are in the middle of a Harvey, a hurricane, sometimes we're so far away, we seem so far away from God, all we can do at first is call to God. We, and, and, and so that first is we call to God. And then we begin to, the second is the calling. The second blank is the coming and then the praying. But I like that progression is the calling. And then we begin to take steps toward God. And finally we end at the feet of God and we bow before him and we pray and we open our hearts. That's the way you find God. Sometimes all you can do at first is just call. Then you begin to come to him with your heart. And then you begin to pray. Not a, not a superficial prayer, but a real prayer like David prayed. That's when we begin. That's the expect, first expectation of God. But then the second one is seeking and finding. Look at verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And here's the first point. Is one, we have got to stop seeking deliverance. We need to seek a deliverer. If all you're doing is seeking a, a boat coming by in the water, you need to seek a deliverer, not just a, a deliverance. You find the deliverer, he will bring you your deliverance. You need to seek the person of Jesus Christ. And you find him. But second, you got to seek him with all your heart. My problem, have you done this? I know we all have. We give our heart to our job. We, we tear off a piece of our heart and we here's a, give a little bit of, to our job. And then we give this piece over here to this substance. Here, you can have a little bit of my heart. And you tear off this, you can have a little bit of my heart over here because I just think about this all the time. And I push that computer button and when nobody's looking, and we give our heart away. Let me tell you something. We have got to go and gather the pieces of our heart. We've got to bring them all back. And then we've got to come to the Lord Jesus, the deliverer, and lay him at his feet and say, Lord, I've gathered to the best of my ability all the pieces of my heart, and I'm giving all of my heart to you, all of my heart to you. And it says that when you do that, good things will happen. Turn over in your Bible to Psalm 69. Psalm 69. Psalm 69, beginning in verse 13. Again, David praying, man, such good prayers. 
Man, let's look at the word, the verbiage of this. Let's look at the words, beginning in verse 13 of Psalm 69. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love and answering me in your saving faithfulness. What I like about what David does, he doesn't go and say, God, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. I need you to do this. No, he goes after the character of God. Then he presents his requests. Too many times I say, God, would you do this? Would you do that? Can you do this? No, we need to go after the character of God and from there lean on his character. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies, from the deep waters. It sounds like Houston. Let not the flood sweep over me and the deep swallow me up. Sounds like depression. Or the pit close its mouth over me. Sounds like pornography. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul, my will, my emotions, my intellect, because they're screaming right now. Redeem me, ransom me because of my enemies. Well, we've looked at the plans of God. We looked at the expectations of God. Now let's look at the good part, the promises of God. If we do what we, God's calling us to do, if we're in captivity, if we're in exile, either because of consequences or because of something that's just driven us into a bad place, the, these promises are the proofs of his exceeding great and precious plans to us who believe. The first your blank to fill in there. He promises to hear you. Jeremiah 29, 11. Again, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to welfare and not for evil, to give you a hope, a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me. And that first promise is he will hear you. He will hear you. I'm reminded of Jonah when he was sinking down in, 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 in Jonah chapter 2, and he says, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Man, you can have full assurance that God, if you, will, if you will call upon him, you will come to him, you will pray to him from your heart, he will hear you. Secondly, he will be found by you. He will be found when you, by you when you seek him with your whole heart. And what's beautiful now, as you turn back to that hurricane from without or within, it is no longer you alone. But now you have the God of the universe on your side. Now you're not facing that addiction alone. Now you're not facing that depression alone. Now he has found you and you have found him. And you look at that monster in the eye. You look at that hurricane and now you've got something beautiful. Thirdly, it says to restore you, to restore you. Now, I want to say this. It says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes. Now, here he's saying very specifically, they have taken everything from you, and I'm going to give it back to you. I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem, back to Judah, and I'm going to restore your fortunes. But I think one of the greatest things 
is God not only gives us back the things that Satan has stolen, but he restores you as a person. I love that word restore. One of the pictures one of our friends took down in Houston the day of the, the, the hurricane, they put it out on Facebook, it was a grocery store. And everything on the shelves was bare. Ever been there? Everything was blank. There was nothing, no bread, no chips, no nothing. And that's what a hurricane, that's what a, these things do. And that's what, that's what Satan does to us. He comes in with that hurricane and he ravages us because of our sin. And he takes away our joy. He takes away our self-worth. He takes away our happiness. And he just empties the shelves. And we're just sitting there going, we're crying, we're weeping because all that God's taken from us. God says, I want to come in and restore you. I want to put back on the shelf your joy, your self-worth, your, your happiness. He wants you to dance again. He wants that to happen for you. The final thing, he wants to gather you and bring you back from captivity. Jer now we're going to go back up to verse 10, okay? We're going back up to verse 10. But before we do that, I do want to read that. It says, I want to gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So God wants to gather you and bring you back from captivity. But verse 10, I just love this. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. I thought that one word, I will visit you, are you ready to be visited by God? Maybe you, you say, Joe, I've been in this addiction for so long. I've had this addiction to this substance or this pornography or this depression. This hurricane is... God wants to visit you. And he wants to do all these things for you. And he wants to bring you back. For you, it may be you're listening today and you say, Joe, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never known Jesus like that. That was me when I came here as a 17-year-old. I had to start by the basics of giving my heart to Christ. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're saying, Joe, I know I've been living on the surface, but God doesn't have my heart. Maybe today you need to re-surrender your heart to the Lord. Maybe you're in captivity, and you. when I say, what are you captive to, you, I, you know exactly what you're captive to, and you need to come today and just, you may, you may want to come to these altars. You may want to come to me or one of the pastors and just say, I need to give my life to Christ. Or you may just want to pass this up and go to these altars. Whatever it is, is this your time? Would you bow your heads? Would you stand and bow your heads with me? We're just going to have a time. Man, I just have enjoyed this scripture so much. It has spoken to me so much over the last few, last week. And just, but now I want you just to bow your heads and I just want you to do business with God. You don't have to come to these altars this morning, but there's something about movement that it's, a lot of times when God moves my heart, I just need to bow my head and pray. I need to get on my knees and you, we, these are available to you.
Father, you took care of me before I ever, ever knew you. You were involved in my life before I ever gave my heart to you. God, you protected me. But when I came to know you, God, you, you, you became my everything. And I pray for all of us today, God, if we are captive to anything this morning, if there's anything in our lives that we are away from your promised land, God, that today we would just connect with you, the deliverer, and that you would begin to hear us, to be found by us, to restore us, and to gather us back. I pray that you, right now, you see past the crowd. You see every individual in this room. You know where they hurt. You know where they cry. And I pray during this time that they would just have a moment with you one-on-one. -on -one. You do business with God.